Welcome back to episode 27 of the Fantasy Front Office Podcast for the week of February 5th, 2018. This week we are going to cover the brand new Todd Frazier deal, Alex Avila is catching in the desert, and we're going to explore the NL West. And now, entering your ears, your Fantasy Front Office. All right, this week in the front office with me is Todd. We have Phil on the DL this week, and we've sent out Keith on assignment, and hopefully everybody will be available next week. All right, to kick off this week's show, we have some hot stove news. Todd Frazier has a new home, and that home is City Field in New York. Todd, what are your thoughts on Todd Frazier in New York? The fit is solid because he's going to get to play every day. So that was something I was worried about. Um, the deal with Frazier, from a fantasy perspective, is that if you have him, if you're in an average league versus an on-base league, he's nearly unownable. Um, his home run total dropped from 40 to 27 last season. But in an on-base percentage league, he actually had a 344 on-base percentage. So um, an outstanding 14.4 walk rate, which you have to wonder if it's sustainable, but still his walk rate is going to be really strong. So an on-base percentage league, he definitely has some late round value, but still in um, an average base league, you're worried about Frazier. And obviously he's coming from Yankee Stadium, so he's coming from one of the best ballparks and you know, he produced what he produced last year. Yeah, he's going from the 14th ranked park factor field to mm-hmm. now the 26th. Oh, wow. Because yeah, yeah. I know City Field, they've moved in the fences last year, but I didn't have the stats on if it made a huge difference, which apparently didn't. Actually, I got this sorted by runs. Let me check that for home runs. Yeah. He's going from the number two ranked park factor down to number 28 for home runs. Yikes. Yeah, that's not good. No. The only thing there is, I hope he can figure out just how to put the ball in play again Mm -hmm. and let things work themselves out because he's been an all or nothing and he's been a guy who can impact you with home runs and RBI as long as a lineup is producing ahead of him and somewhat on base percentage the last few years. But outside of that, he's been an abyss. Yeah, because next year will be his age 32 season. And pretty much since his All-Star game appearance 2014-2015, it's all been downhill from there. Um, lots of regression for Todd Frazier. And the Mets lineup's not outstanding, to say the least, compared to what the Yankees had last year. So, you know, I would definitely fade Frazier, especially at third base. That's the, probably the best, deepest position right now. So Yeah, for sure. On to some home cooking here. The Diamondbacks kind of came out of nowhere and signed Alex Avila. This marks him as the number one catcher. And then we also have Herman in the mix. Yeah, and I don't know what else there is for that trio of catchers here in the desert. Because last season, um, we saw Chris Iannetta face left-handed pitching. So it's kind of weird if Avila, he's going to be a left-handed hitter who crushed right-handed pitching last year. Hit 270, but had a 398 on base percentage and slugged a 478 rate, uh, 14 homers. So... I think that the plan last year was Mathis. They love Jeff Mathis. He's great defensively, but he usually don't, they want him to catch 50 to 60 games. 
So that leaves around 100 games for Avila, but it depends if they keep a third catcher like last year. So there's a lot in the air between the platoon that Dimebacks have right now. Well, last year's was a little different because it was solely based on, oh, let, let's get our gloves right, let's get the defense right, yeah. let's make sure pitch framing is good. There was no emphasis on how they batted. Chris Iannetta came out of the woodwork, kind of exploded back onto the scene, but I don't see a reason for them to carry a third catcher this year, which yeah. probably means Chris Herman is on the out. Yeah, and uh, I know Herman's out of options too, so it's going to be interesting to see what all happens if he's still on the roster once um, opening day comes. But uh, I definitely the fit's amazing for Avila, and I, he's definitely going to get the lion's share of starts, but it's going to be a question if it's going to be a 120-game workload or an 80 to 100-game workload. Yeah, that'll definitely yeah. play a part. And hopefully lightening that workload will allow him to focus in mm-hmm. and just let let him swing like when he gets in there. I know he had big home and away splits going from Detroit and yeah. then fell off the map once he hit Chicago. But again, Chicago was a tough situation because by the time he got there, um, I believe Contreras came back about two weeks later. So they got him kind of in the middle of his injury last year. So right. down the stretch, you know, he was coming off the bench a lot, only playing twice a week. So as a starter, like he was in Detroit, hopefully he can maintain what he had in the first half of last season. But I know definitely in the second half, he fell off a lot. Up next, we will talk NL West breakdowns. All right, so breaking into this new trend of shows we're going to be doing here shortly is we're going to break down each individual division by their bullpen over or underrated players and we're going to cover some sleepers so that's how we're going to roll out our next few shows kind of breaking each division down so let's start off in the bullpen and our first team that we're going to break down is our most solidified bullpen scenario is the los angeles dodgers with kenley jansen uh there's not much else to say there but who are some of the guys who may be getting some of the the save scraps or if he goes down with an injury who are the guys that we're looking for to step up and take on the closer situation so down the stretch last year he was the seventh inning guy um in front of morrow and jansen but this year he should move into the eighth inning and for me that's josh fields um he's been around in the league for a while he's I believe next year will be his age 33 season but uh he had a little bit of a renaissance last year a 914k per nine uh, 15 holds. He definitely around the second half of the season. That's where he really started to hit his stride. And uh, opening out of camp, he's going to be the eighth inning guy. So I think Fields would be next in line if anything were to happen to Chanson. But mainly, I would look at Fields as if you're looking for a guy who's going to get holds on one of the best teams in baseball. Josh Fields would be your guy for the Dodgers. For sure, between Fields and Alexander and Baez, those are mm-hmm. the most intriguing names there. Singrani came over from Cincinnati, but he's looking either probably going to be the multi-inning guy there, or maybe he works his way back into the uh, starting rotation if they keep playing that uh, 10-day DL game that Mm -hmm. they've been playing the last few years. So those are definitely some intriguing names in LA's bullpen. Now on to one of the most expensive bullpens 
in baseball, we're going to Colorado. So it's kind of interesting. News broke a couple of days ago. I believe it was a beat writer for the Rockies, and then Bob Nightingale kind of made it mainstream news. But Greg Holland was actually offered the original three-year, $52 million deal that Davis got and turned it down. Um, Holland is a Boris client, and Wade Davis is not. And that's a, <laughs> well, that's well a, that uh, explains <laughs> everything there. But – so if people are wondering why they went with Davis over Holland, they wanted Holland originally. They wanted to stay loyal to him. But um, they got Wade Davis, and he's coming off a phenomenal season. Something I am worried about, he is on the wrong side of 30, and the velocity dipped about, um, I believe it was like 1.5 miles per hour on his fastball last season, which is a little concerning because in 2016, he missed time uh, with the Royals with a forearm injury. Um, but for this season, the Rockets are going to win a lot of games. Uh, Davis saw a little increase in his fly ball rate, but I it wasn't. It was about a two percent increase. It wasn't anything that I'd be too worried about. It was his career high, but uh, I I would just note that to the fly ball revolution. But I like Wade Davis. He's going to get a lot of save opportunities. Uh, last season, Greg Holland was arguably one of the best closes of the first half until he slowed down a little bit in the second half. But I'm I'm pretty high on Wade Davis. I think you'll be able to get him on a little bit of a discount because people are going to be scared of the course field effect. For sure. And looking at the other arms in that bullpen, you've got Jake McGee, who has been pretty solid and consistent in the holds department over the last two to three years. Uh, Brian Shaw was also brought in and Adam Ottavino. Those three guys, they put up almost 200 innings between the three of them. Uh, And they are going to be getting the lion's share of the holds and potential saves if something were to happen with Davis in that bullpen. So those are definitely the guys to keep on your radar. Uh, Next up, we've got, we're going to head to San Diego, where they pretty much, I believe they signed their closer uh, to an extension rather than going to arbitration with him in Brad Hand. Yeah, Hand's definitely the guy there. He got, I believe, was a three-year extension, so it covered one year of free agency. Uh, abs- absolutely phenomenal season. He's had he's had kind of a Andrew Miller career map where he's uh, the last two seasons are his first seasons as a full time reliever, and he's had over 11 K per nine back to back seasons. Uh, 21 saves last year, 216 ERA. It all comes down to what your philosophy is on really good closers on a bad team. Uh, the stats are going to be there. He has a great strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, it just depends on your philosophy come draft day. Two other intriguing names here in their bullpen. One was Kirby Yates. He kind of <laughs> snuck up on the radar last year. Low ratios across the board, high strikeout rate, and he is the next in line. Uh, the other name, if he's able to correct some things, is Carter Caps. He ended up injured last year and will be coming back as a strong piece of their bullpen and possibly will be like second or third in line to close. So mm-hmm. those are definitely guys to keep on your radar. And yeah, the Padres always seem to have a really good bullpen. Uh, should be very strong this year. Craig Stammen had a great season last year. Uh, definitely not going to be a guy for saves or holds, but they also added Makita, who's uh, the side armor from Japan. So that, that's going to be a lot of bullpen. It's just, you know, obviously it's the Padres and the offense is always going to be the question, but the Padres always find a way to have a great bullpen. Right. Yeah. All right. We're going to head to San Francisco. Their closing situation is pretty secure with uh, Mark Melanson there. 
Yeah, well, he beyond had... that, I I don't I don't have much. Uh, okay, so their closer is Mark Melanson. Where do you see him rebounding this year? Melanson's very concerning because he's coming off a forearm injury. He had, uh, I believe, it was just a minor procedure, but he's already throwing. He says pain-free, should be a full go for spring training. But he's a guy who didn't strike out a lot of guys to begin with. He has that cutter. He, he's a ground ball pitcher to the to the T. So for him, I'm worried about health. And obviously, the Giants were had second worst record in baseball last season. So the save opportunities are going to be questionable. I mean, they should be better. But he's a very very risky. When you hear a guy having forearm issues, especially he's older, I'm a little concerned. But the problem with the Giants, they don't really have a guy behind him that would be worth stashing. No. no, looking at their bullpen, you're looking at Hunter Strickland, who's probably the most enticing yeah. name there. And then you have Sam Dyson, uh, the vacuum who came over from <laughs> Texas. And uh, he did rebound numbers wise since he came over. But granted, that could just be the park factor factoring in going from Texas, yeah. where it's home, or, home run friendly to now San Francisco, which is a high pitcher's park so and, yeah. yeah dyson's low strikeout guy too so he's not going to help you in your really in anything unless he closes so. right he's pretty much one category at that point yeah i mean strickland probably your best bet if you're looking for holds or a handcuff to melanson i guess but it's not a it's not a great situation and especially if the giants i believe if something happened to melanson i believe they would go out and get a closer or a new arm so yeah, there will be a lot of them on the market this year, so. Yeah. All right, now we're going to head to some home cooking. This year, ah, the closer situation, Roster Resource puts the closer as Archie Bradley. I believe it should be Bradley. It's kind of surprising that they haven't announced that he's a closer yet, but he should totally get it. 173 ERA last season. The move to the bullpen completely sparked his season. He's struggling with control as a starter, but able to go to the bullpen. He's able to just throw his fastball, air it out for an inning, and then he has an awesome knuckle curve that he's able to use as a second pitch. He's never been able to develop that third pitch, which hurt him as a starter, but it's fine as a reliever. But Bradley should get the closing job, but there's a lot of options behind him. There are. You're looking at the yeah. guy that they picked up in a deal with Tampa Bay. You've got Brad Boxberger. Um, and then an intriguing option that they came out of left field and signed out of Japan, Yoshihisa yeah. Hirano. Yeah. Another submariner type. Definitely going to get a lot of the setup opportunities. He has been a closer in Japan for a number of years, and he's 34. I, I'm very intrigued to see what Hirano can do. Um, not, he's not, doesn't profile as a hot strikeout guy, definitely a ground ball machine, but he would be a guy I'd be interested to see in the eighth inning, even if Bradley or Boxberger are the close, which I believe will be Bradley. But even in a scenario, I think you could see Hirano locked in eighth. Yeah. And I do see him and Boxberger getting a lot of the work there for holds and potential saves. If Bradley's unavailable for too many nights in a row or whatever, they are capable arms that have experience. So those would be the guys to cue in on. Potential guys that you could see getting, I guess, wins or stretching that bullpen a little bit. You're probably looking, Andrew Chafin got a lot of work last year. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. 
Um, the other name, they don't have him on the Major League roster here, is Jimmy Scherfe down the stretch last year. Did a lot of late-inning work and has been closing at the AAA level. Jimmy Scherfe and Jake Barrett. Both of them, somebody to keep on the radar for yeah. potentially down down the road a little bit. Well, definitely in holds leagues, or if you're looking to steal some wins, Chafin might be your guy because he's going to be their top lefty. And last season, Luvolo showed that he's totally willing to use Chafin a lot in any situation. So Chafin might be that guy that comes in in the 7th or 8th to get a lefty out or get out of a jam for Hirano or Boxberger. So uh, Scherfe, I, I think Scherfe's going to make the team, but again, he's going to be your number 4 right-handed pitcher. But he, he's definitely intriguing. He was did a phenomenal job closing in AAA, and I believe he had 10 scoreless innings to start. I Zombie believe career, he did, so, yeah. Yeah. So I'm intrigued. Very. He's got a big looping curveball for a righty, which is kind of weird, but it's it gets out. So it's, it was very solid, productive last year in the major league level. All right, coming up after the break, we're going to dive into some overrated and underrated players on each of the rosters. Hey, everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzapia. Baseball is back, and so is the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018 edition. This year, I've got Paul Spore doing the starting pitching chapter. I've got Jake Seeley doing outfield profiles. I've got Sammy Reed doing DFS. we got championships waiting for you. Go get it right now, the Fantasy Baseball Black Book 2018, available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle and on iTunes, because once you go Black Book, well, you know the rest. Getting back into it, we have underrated and overrated players in the NL West. Starting off with the Dodgers, who do you have that's overrated or underrated, Todd? This kind of theory, I guess. It kind of came from Phil and Key, so I'll give him credit for it. But Kershaw is <laughs> going seventh overall. And obviously, Clayton Kershaw is awesome. He, I believe he's the best pitcher in baseball. But back-to-back years with um, a back injury... He only seems every year he seems to miss time. And then plus, uh, the guys behind him are going around 15-ish. And yet, where you have Kluber and Sale that are just workhorses. So I, I would have, it's kind of weird to say, but Kershaw is kind of my overrated Dodger. Yeah. Him and I really feel Corey Seager is going way too high. Yeah. For pretty much just being a young guy that can hit home runs. I don't know exactly what it is that really just irks me with him, but he's a 20 homers, but he doesn't steal bases. He's got a high average, high OBP. There's no speed with the kid. That's true. And something that worries uh, me about Seager is that he has, it's pretty much like a chronic elbow injury. He misses a lot of time with it, and it got pretty bad down the stretch where I believe he almost missed playoff games because of it. So if you have a guy who, I mean, there's so much power in the game right now, he has no stolen base potential where there is a lot of guys who steal bases at shortstop, and the nagging elbow injury still concerns me. I don't think they addressed it this rest this offseason. So, yeah, I'm a little low in Seager, too. Yeah, he's going around ADP of 30 to 35. Mm-hmm. I would take, and I believe I did take, Bregman over him in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, Bregman's at least a 2015 guy. 
with I mean, high average, with high on yeah. base percentage, with definitely the upside there. Who are we undervaluing on the Dodgers roster? Uh, for me, I have two guys, and it's kind of not so much undervaluing, but guys I like at their position a lot. Uh, Justin Turner at 75. Yes. He gets the label for being injury prone, but he's been over 550 play appearances back-to-back years. 415 on base percentage, which is incredible. He's a lock for at least a little over 20 homers, and he's still stealing some bases. Had seven last year. You know, he's going into offseason healthy. He has a chronic knee issue but he's a guy who's gonna try to steal bases i think if he can stay healthy he could get to 10 so i i love turner i think he is a surefire thing he is a guy that really took on that swing at a pitch and hit it hard yeah. mentality and maybe he's lucked out from some high babbit numbers but his on-base percentage was 415 last year i yeah, mean it, just it's insane lighting it up and he's going to have opportunities for rbis he's going to be on base for people to hit him in score runs upside of possibly 20 25 home runs 10 stolen bases he's an underrated third base option there all across the board really five category effect for me i'm leaning towards um no actually my undervalued player is yasiel puig i believe we made a trade last year of puig i I believe we did who did we swap i believe it was puig for shaw that's right which kind of worked out good because it was i needed power at the time and then you needed outfield help so it worked out great for both of us i believe but it did it was one of those weird win-win situations puig ended up with almost 30 home runs 15 stolen bases almost a 350 on base percentage and he's right in line with turner on runs rbis so he's a guy that's going to affect you across the category getting drafted in the 120s. Yeah, I like Puig a lot too. And the bounce back season for Puig came because of Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts just, he puts him in the eight hole, puts him out of right field and just lets Puig be Puig. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. The whole Manny strategy, put the guy in the everyday lineup and let it go. Like you yeah. don't have to put pressure on him by batting him third or fourth or fifth or sixth in this lineup. Just let his bat go and wherever that bat winds up, let him earn at bats at higher positions in that lineup. All right, let's turn to Colorado. Who is over hyped and overvalued in that Colorado lineup. And if you say Charlie Blackman, I'm sure Phil is going to come after you. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm a huge Charlie Blackman fan. It's kind of hard to find hitters that you don't like in the Rockies lineup, but for me, it's DJ LeMahieu. Incredible on-base percentage guy. He's very consistent, but hit eight home runs at Coors Field last year, or for the season, being a player that plays at Coors Field, and only has six stolen bases. So he's going at 134, which I think is a little too high for him, for someone that is only going to give you average and on-base help. So for me, it's LeMahieu. Yeah, he's very one, two, depending on your league, category guy. Other second base. Baseman, I would take over LeMahieu. Uh, you're looking at Hap. I'd be taking Ian Kinsler over LeMahieu this year. Yeah. I mean, with yeah. that stacked Angels lineup, Scooter Jeanette comes into play there. Maybe even Peraza. Like, if Peraza yeah. can turn it around, I'd definitely draft him over. So on that lineup, I, I definitely agree. We've got some issues there with second base and how high LeMahieu's going. My overdraft would almost be... Nolan Arenado. Why is he going 
fourth overall. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's consistent and he gets you all across the board, a five, six category guy. But is he really? He doesn't have much speed at all. So that already knocks him down a category. So, I mean, the thing is, with your first round pick, you either want consistency or the ability to have number one overall player. But with Arenado, yeah, you get consistency, but third base is stacked. Like we just said, Justin Turner is going 75th. That's 25 homers, 10 stolen bases. That's going to get more stolen bases from uh, Turner than Arenado. So you're going to get consistency at third base. I mean, you, you get more stolen bases with Chris Bryant, who's going eight, yeah. eight spots later. Um, Manny just, Machado is still third base eligible. Jose Ramirez, there are so many options at third base. Why do you waste it on Arenado? Granted, I could be arguing this from the standpoint of consistency because that's why I chose Paul Goldschmidt in our listener league. He's consistent across all the categories, but he has stolen base upside for his position. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, I mean... I would, Arenado for me is a late first round guy. When the guys who can steal bases or have the potential to be a number one overall player are gone, then I would start thinking maybe Arenado, but uh, third base, uh, there's so many third basemen this year that I love. Um, like Lamb, Shaw, and Turner are all kind of in that same 75 to 90 range. Uh, Lamb maybe a little later. That's where I'm getting my third baseman, not with the top four pick. So let me let me look at the NFBC because their rankings are usually really different than, say, Fantrax, ESPN mm-hmm. for the ADP. They have him or the highest pick. He went number two overall and okay. the lowest pick was 12th. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a. It's a wide variance for a first um, pick. Yeah, Trey Turner but. is actually averaging higher ADP than Nolan Arenado. Who is undervalued on this roster? Who is underdrafted? For me, I believe he's up to 127 on fan tracks. But Ian Desmond, a guy who has 2020 potential, and um, if you wait at first base, he has first base eligibility, and he also outfield eligibility. So I'm a little higher on Ian Desmond than most people, but I love the potential of a 2020 guy that late in the draft. Uh, last season, he was hurt a lot, so we haven't seen a full year of him at Coors. So Ian Desmond's my guy that I own a lot of shares of. Little, I like him later in the draft. The guy I'm hoping actually turns things around here. You're looking at Tom Murphy at catcher. This is a guy who will probably start the year splitting catching duties with Chris Iannetta. If Colorado smart, they'll get them both at bats. Tony Walters is there as well, but he's kind of a deeper draft uh, sleeper in the catcher position. He's a guy Mm -hmm. with major power upside and I believe has hit pretty decently for average all throughout the minors. So he's somebody to keep on the radar and he's really not being drafted before 35th catcher, so 460th yeah. overall. Yeah, I, I definitely like the Rockies catching situation because they're going so late, and that would be an interesting platoon, I would say. But Murphy is definitely interesting. If he can show some pop, he's an average guy already. He's proved he can hit for average. So, uh, yeah, Tom Murphy is definitely a good one. All right, on to San Diego. Who is overdrafted in San Diego? This one's a little tough. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of guys that are getting drafted from the Padres. Just looking, it kind of just depends, again, like I said, if Brad Hand is, what is your theory on drafting a pitcher or a closer on a bad roster? He had 21 saves last year, and he was a closer for pretty much the majority of the season, I believe from like mid-May on. But I believe he's still rated out as a top 15 closer for next season. But Brad Hand would be mine. Mine actually comes from their starting rotation. It is Denilson Lamette, 
he came onto the scene last year, had high strikeout rates, but everything else ratio-wise was pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. He sat at a 4.57 ERA, a 1.25 whip, and it will be interesting if he's able to keep up the high strikeouts or if he's going to have a very up and down season again granted last year was his rookie season so the hype machine is actually out in force for Lamette. he's going as the 61st overall starting pitcher putting him in like the 215 to 220 range in adp at that same spot you can get alex reyes mike clevenger blake snell Lance Lynn even. So guys with actual track records, I don't know if the hype is just too much on him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Because going into the kind of draft prep, I saw the Met face the Dimebacks a couple times last year. And very, I mean, extremely talented, hard thrower. But him going at 215, I, I just think that's way too early. He's going to get his strikeouts. I mean, his stuff's great. But he there's a long way for him to go developing as a pitcher. Uh Maybe maybe in the dynasty league, I'd be a little more interested in the early 200s with them, but in a redraft league, not at all. For sure. All right. So who is underdrafted, undervalued on this team? I think we're always looking for catching options. Uh, we've talked a lot about the catcher position on this pod, but Austin Hedges is a guy who he finally flashed a ton of pop kind of out of nowhere. Uh, this is a guy who last, I believe, 2016, the second half of his season when he played in AAA. That was when he first started to flash the power. But he's a guy who I think maybe he could get one day become a 25 home run guy. Uh, he's their catcher. He is absolutely outstanding defensively. So he's going to get 120, 130 starts. So if he can become kind of almost Evan Gaddis-like when he was younger with the power, maybe Austin Hedges has some value. He would be like, I don't know if I'm drafting him, but he's a guy I'm keeping an eye on. He is somebody to keep an eye on. 30% strikeout rate. Only yeah. a 214 average. It's it was a rough season last year for him, but 18 home runs definitely mm-hmm. got some upside. And yeah, there's not really anybody else gonna steal at bats from him um, unless they somehow sign Lucroy or something weird. <laughs> um, I'm kind of split on who I feel is undervalued because Manuel Margot is probably the guy that will get a lot of the buzz come spring training. Big power upside can hit for average, pretty good on base percentage. But the guy I'm actually leaning towards is Jose Perella. He's got some infield eligibility, but he's looking to be the left fielder opening day. He's a guy that's got some speed. He could definitely push the the 20, 25 stolen bases and can hit for power, probably potentially a 2020 guy. Uh, He's younger, uh, hasn't had many seasons there in the bigs hopefully gets to see a little more at bats this year in the quality department getting drafted in the 380s so towards the end of your draft if you're looking for a guy with potential upside in the middle infield potentially outfield department he's somebody to keep on the radar he hit 10 home runs last year stole five bases but got on base at a 350 clip played only about a half season with Perella so obviously as Dimeback fans we get to see a lot of NL West and I saw Perella play a lot last season down the stretch and he's a guy who you know he popped a little he has speed has some pop too I like Perella especially so his ADP is 387 on fan track and uh, I absolutely love him as a late round sleeper 
especially second base outfield eligibility. Yeah, I, uh, Perel is definitely a guy who's extremely undervalued. All right, let's look at the Giants. First up, who do you have for overrated? Because I'm leaning towards Buster Posey here as being overrated on this lineup. Yeah, I, I definitely had Posey, but the guy I'm going to go with is Evan Longoria. With him, it's just uh, he's been trending in the wrong direction for just pretty much since his 2013 season. Now, in 2016, he did have 31 homers, but his on-base percentage continued to dip. He hasn't had an on-base percentage over 328 since 2013. So a move to AT&T Park kind of saps the 20-home run cap that he has. So with him, it's just there's so many good third basemen. I can't imagine a scenario where I would end up with Evan Longoria. And his ADP right now is 189. He's going ahead of Suarez, uh, Todd Frazier, Ryan Healy, just to name a few guys. So the third base position, it's deep. And I think by that point, you'll have your third baseman. I just don't see a ton of value with Longoria. Yeah, I don't see much benefit going with Longoria there. Got Beltre and Gallo that are going right before him. Whether you're looking high home runs, if you're an on-base or average league, kind of fluctuate for either of them. And then the guys coming after him, I'm more interested in Suarez, maybe even Michael Franco. If you can turn it around, he's an upside guy. He's got more upside than Longoria. Todd Frazier, I think, will pass. Matt Chapman as well. And if you get even 100 picks later than Longoria, you're looking the Nick Senzels of the world, Ryan McMahon in Colorado. There's so many options at third base. Longoria doesn't have to be on your radar, but if he falls far enough and he's a better option than what's available take him yeah um my argument with posey is he's pretty much just an on-base guy and whether your league is average or on base he's kind of one category at this point. yeah because posey's adp is 65 on fan trap and he's a guy 14 homers last season he is definitely kind of the anti flyball revolution guy he's a yeah. good traditional hitter i've never seen a guy be able to hit a ball opposite way like posey can but fantasy wise he's not gonna move to need for you it's gonna if you take him at 65 that's probably gonna hurt you all right so nfbc has him going 60th overall for their adp the highest he's been drafting is 27 way way out of I'm betting oh all these minimum picks for catchers all happen in the same draft because you got Posey at 27, Salvador Perez at 45, Real Muto at 61, but his, wow, the latest Posey has gone is at 113. Now, I know it may have been the listener league or one of the mocks been doing. Buster Posey fell pretty far, but I mean, that's just because there's a league full of guys who do fancy podcasts and fancy writers. I think in a normal league, someone's going to take Posey in the top 100. I mean, the oh, huge sure. factor. Yeah. So... I can guarantee you I will not own Buster Posey probably for the rest of his career, but just 65 is outrageous because it's what is he going to at least with Gary Sanchez going in the top 30 or wherever he's going. He's going to hit 30 home runs. You know, there's going to be a massive difference between him and the other catchers. But Posey's not going to separate himself on the pack. Just to kind of like put the cart before the horse here, I'm working on a catcher article here. And there are drastic tier differences between the catchers. Like Sanchez is number one. There is nobody else individually close to him. 
After Sanchez, you have Contreras. As an individual player, he's somebody that will contribute across three to four categories. Mm -hmm. Potentially, if he starts stealing some bases, a fourth or fifth category. Once you get past him, you've got Real Muto, and then everything just starts looking blah. Yeah. Like, you can take it in chunks of three and four guys and just kind of put them all in the same sack, shake them up, and however they fall out, that's how you'll rank them. Whether you like Salvador Perez, or Evan Gaddis. I don't know how he still has eligibility. <laughs> Yadi Molina, Lucroy, Zunino. And once you get so deep, it's junk. And we've covered yeah. this ad nauseum, but there are some potential things that we'll get into and my article will go deeper into on some fun stuff at catcher that you can mm-hmm. at least play with because after a certain point, your catcher can only hurt you. True. And if you go with certain approaches, it may even benefit you. My Underdrafted player on the Giants is it's Madison Bumgarner. I I don't know why all of a sudden he's no longer a guy that's drafted up with the the Klubers, the Sales, all because of one injury to his non-throwing arm. Mm-hmm. And he came back once he came back last season. He was the same Mad Bum, you know that he proved to us that he can still that the injury is not going to affect him. So yeah, he's getting drafted yeah. ADP of twenty six. Um, looking NFBC here, he's going about twenty six. Highest he's win is thirteenth. Lowest is 37th. You got him. You got Strasburg that's right there as well. Strasburg's minimum and max are right in line. It's 10th and 39th. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy that's going to bring you second round value. And it'll really depend on what's available for you. How many deep is your league? Yeah, for me, it was um, Keith's uh, dude, but Jeff Samarja. <laughs> I've been very anti-Samarja throughout the years, but last season he had such a strange season where he was averaging about a K per inning, but his FIB was 3.16, and his ERA was around, I believe, 4.2, which is weird for a pitcher to go to AT&T Park and kind of be unlucky, I guess, would be what I'm right. trying to get at. So I've never been huge on Samarja. He's going around the 150s, but he's a guy where... For me, Samarja and Cueto, Cueto's a little above Samarja, and I would 100% take Jeff Samarja over Johnny Cueto. So that's kind of where I got the undervalued uh, theory for Samarja. Yeah. Cueto, you kind of don't know what you're going to get from him Mm. of late. Samarja, you really do. He's pretty consistent, and he's a workhorse. It's one, two, three. He's got four straight years at 200 plus. Basically, his numbers are pretty much all in line. Ground ball to fly ball, batting average against. It's been a good trend, kind of up and down with the ERA, and that's just kind of unlucky. Then you're looking, he was somehow managed to lower his whip while raising his ERA. Yeah, he had probably the strangest stat season that you can dive into of anyone last season. Especially everyone was so high on him going to AT&T Park, going to San Francisco. It's just, just a weird season for the Giants in general, but definitely Samarja too. Uh, his NFBC rating, he's going 140. Earliest was 93 and latest was 190, like 187. Wow. So 
He's he's potentially going to be there for you wherever you see, but definitely take a look at it. Yeah, for sure. All right, on to the hometown Arizona Diamondbacks. Who is our overdrafted player? For me, it would be Zach Greinke. And I find it really interesting that Greinke is going 46, but Ray is going 48. And Robbie Ray had a 12.1K per nine last season. Greinke had a 9.5. Ray had a 2.89 ERA. Greinke had a 3.2. And Robbie Ray is entering his age 26 season next season. And Greinke will be entering his age 34 season. So at 46, maybe the value is right for Greinke at that position. But for with Robbie Ray there on the board at 48 on average ADP, I would take Ray over Greinke and Harvey. You know, and that is what people have been doing. Uh, a lot of them. NFBC has him going. Robbie Ray, the earliest he went is 26th. The okay. earliest Grinky has gone is 34th. Okay. Uh, they are tied at 45 for ADP. Latest they've gone, 58th overall. Robbie Ray, 75th for Zach Grinky. Granted, NFBC is a little twisted in how they do things. It's you draft everyone and there's no trades, no pickups. I gotcha. It's a lot of people drafting on upside. So a lot of yeah. these numbers, the earliest drafted numbers are kind of skewed towards younger guys. Mm-hmm. They can be a little ageist over there, but I would go for Ray over Granky. So I just saw on fan tracks, uh, Granky's ADP is 46 and Robbie Ray's 48. And I just, I believe if you have the opportunity to pick between the two, it shouldn't be a question. Robbie Ray's your guy. For sure. All right. My overdrafted player is Jake Lamb. I don't like speaking ill of the man, but... Man, people are taking him at 106 overall. I definitely would prefer Beltre over him. And I'm sure we're going to get into this later when we hit uh, the AL West. But mm-hmm. Beltre is getting drafted at, in the 160s. Which is outrageous. Just because he missed some time last year with the injury. But he came back and hit the cover off the ball. Yeah. Uh, was on pace for at least 20 home runs. Projections were closer to 30. I'd honestly take Mike Moustakis over Lamb right now. like, And that'll depend on where Moustakis lands yeah. ultimately. But Moustakis has consistent power. Jake has consistent power. But Moustakis can hit you for average and on base percentage. And depending on the lineup he's in, he may have better upside for scoring potential and RBI. This year with Jake Lamb, and it's happened back-to-back seasons, so it's kind of becoming a trend, is that he can hit left-handed pitching, which he hit 144 against lefties last year. But also, he slows down in the second half. Um, last year, I believe he had 20 by the all- 20 home runs by the All-Star break. This year, before the All-Star break, he had 20 again. But in the second half of 2017, he hit 204 compared to 279 in the first half. So he's a guy back-to-back seasons. He's slowed down in the second half. And also, he can't hit lefties at all. You know, there's a lot of flaws in Jake Lamb's game. That there are. This is something that he may be somebody that if he's there and the guys you want at third base aren't, he may be somebody to take and ride the hot streak in the first half and deal him before the second half because he'll probably get you some pretty decent value, young guy, third base, and he may be able to help you solidify some other weaknesses on your team. Yeah. In 2016, what I was alluding to, he hit 291 in the first half with 20 homers and had nine homers in the second half while hitting 197. So it back-to-back years, just the second half after All-Star game just slowed down drastically. That's definitely if you draft him and he's hot in the first half, cash in. Um, that for sure. All right. Now, who is under 
valued on the Diamondbacks roster? For me, when you have the rotations, uh, phenomenal. I think Godley's going where he should go, but Taylor Walker and Patrick Corbin, I think, because they're the number four or five starters on the roster, they're going uh, Walker 211, Corbin 255. Patrick Corbin had a 328 ERA in the second half last year. Absolutely outstanding down the stretch, and Walker was consistent all season. His ERA was around 3.6, almost strikes out a guy in the inning. So those two guys are getting drafted, I believe, way too late. Those are actually, <laughs> those are the guys <laughs> I was aiming for as well. Yeah. I mean, you could say Archie, but draft trends are pushing towards higher ADP than normal just because it's leaning towards him being in the closing role this year. So mm-hmm. the starting rotation is pretty stacked. Corbin was the guy I was leaning towards saying was undervalued uh, mm-hmm. in the second half last year. His first half was pretty up and down. It was his second half, his August. He completely lit it up. Yeah. Uh, two five with a shade over one in the whip department just lit it up and has been a workhorse since he came back off Tommy John, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Tommy John. And for him, it took him a couple of years to get back to form. But last season, I mean, the second half, he clicked. He looked like the old Patrick Corbin. Definitely be watching for Arizona pitching later in your drafts. That'll conclude our over and under segment. So hang with us. We're going to get into some late round sleepers. Time to get into some NL West sleepers. Todd, who are you looking at in the deeper later rounds post 150 that are guys that are going to bring you good value this season? For me, I kind of view this as when you're doing a draft, if you're in a really deep league and you're sitting there in the 350s and you're kind of looking at guys that are just going to play and be good and not hurt you. And one guy, uh, Jin Ru for the Dodgers. And the thing is, they do the, he's often a victim of the 10-day DL. Last season, he had 24 starts. I think he'll probably get up to 27, 28 this year. And he was good. He had a 3.7 ERA. Down the stretch, eight of his last nine starts, he gave up two or less runs. And he's just going to be a solid, if you're just looking for starting pitching, looking for innings, it's going to be a solid guy in the 300s. He's 350. Um, he's healthy now. And he's proved that he can be a really good pitcher in the past. Uh, 8.2 K per nine last season. So Raul was my guy. Yeah. And he was somebody that actually told the Dodgers that uh, he wasn't comfortable pitching out of the bullpen. Yeah. So that definitely lends him towards he's going to get starts like that's where he's going to pitch. And when he's been healthy, he's been pretty consistent about getting good ground balls. Um, mm-hmm. His batting average against is pretty decent in the 250, 260 range. And he's a guy that does get some swing and misses. So definitely later in your drafts, if you're looking for an arm that could be an impact guy that isn't going to kill your ratios, definitely Ryu. Well, one of my sleepers was going to be Tom Murphy, but we already covered that when we talked about their over and under drafted. So looking at the shortstop position, I would definitely keep an eye out for Kettle Marte. He is probably going to get the majority or at least the lion's share of starts for the Diamondbacks at either short or second base. And he's a guy that's got some pop. He's got good speed and he isn't going to kill you in most of your ratios. So definitely a guy to keep an eye on. 
He's going super late. Yeah, Marte is going in the 320s. So anywhere post 250, 300, if you're short on middle infield shortstops, keep him on your radar. He's a guy that could have a big breakout year this season. Yeah, especially Marte, the Diamondbacks absolutely love him. Earlier on in the offseason when they were kind of shopping the middle infielders, the one thing they were telling teams that could tell Marte was not available. And here's a guy who in 2014, the minors stole 29 bases. 2015, the minors, he stole 20. So he's a guy who might quietly have 20 stolen base potential. The Diamondbacks love the run. So he'd be a guy late in draft, get some stolen bases. He's going to be a solid average guy. So Marte is a little interesting. Brandon Belt's a guy that you can usually grab late 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 in your draft probably around 280 to 300 is where he's going he does have his injury flaws but he'll get you a decent on-base percentage in the 340 350 range and can hit for average with a little pop so he's definitely a guy to keep on the radar as a bench player bench bat somebody as an insurance for a first baseman that has an injury history but he's definitely somebody to keep on your radar in the later rounds of the draft. A little interesting, Brandon Belt had 18 home runs last season, which is usually his average, but he only played 104 games. So he had kind of a pretty massive uptick in home runs. He was on pace for 27 or 26. And for example, in our listeners league, uh, I got Yonder Alonso pretty late in the draft, and then I backed him up with Brandon Belt. So he's a guy, he's not the most exciting player in the world, but late in drafts, again, if you want someone that you'll be able to slick and, uh, slip into a utility spot or a backup first baseman, yeah, Brandon Belt's really intriguing. For me, my last one was Gerardo Parra. For me, I would stay tuned to see if they grab a first baseman, but if they don't, Parra should be set up for plenty of playing time at Coors Field. High average guy in that lineup, he's going to give you some a lot of runs and and RBIs. Doesn't steal bases anymore in the power scene a dip, but again, super late round outfielder. He gets kind of intriguing for me. For sure. Alrighty. Well, this has been our preview of the NL West. Hopefully it helps in your draft prep and maybe gets you a, a late round sleeper. Alright, Todd, where can the people find you? Any articles coming out? You can find me at Goldie Happens. This week I'm planning on dropping at least two or three. First one's going to be about the Dimebacks bullpen situation and then the second one i'm going to tackle the abundance of free agents so stay tuned for those you can follow phil at the baseball jedi you can find keith and all of his various write-ups over at fantasy underscore keith find the podcast at fan front office and our home on the web fanfrontofficepodcast.com find myself jeremy at front office jer and until next week good luck in your mock drafts